A bombastic economist, right? Television guy, personality, right. who had a ton of energy, has a ton of energy, and is a little, you know, wacky, right? Like with some of the things that he does, I get it, but it has a lot of commercial appeal. And he basically said, you know what? We're going to take a chainsaw. Literally, he like he did a stint with the chainsaw. I've seen some videos with him. Yeah, he has a chainsaw, literally in, in running around town. Open AI. They oust <laughs> the founder, and then I wake up this morning and 500 people are resigning I know. because of this. You can't have a nonprofit board with a for-profit company. Right. I mean, that in and of itself is kind of messy. All right, folks, welcome to Thanksgiving week. If you're traveling, this is the place to be. Make sure you download us, get us ready to go for that travel, those trips that you're going to take, whether you're on a plane, in a car, the Sean Spicer Show is there to go with you. This week, Trish Regan's here, Kirk Cameron's here, Russ Vogt, the former president's OMB director. We have got a big week of folks to bring to you. And then a debate on term limits on the end of the week that we plan to throw in the fireworks. So much to get to with Trish Regan today. Let's break it all down and bring in Trish. Trish, good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving yeah. to you and your family. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. You know, to everyone's of, family. Yes. A lot of big topics to get to today, but I, we got to settle a few things. So what, what is the, what is the, what does the family do? Do you guys go somewhere? Do people come to you? Uh, we go somewhere. Good. We go to my sister's house. She kind of got like this really super Thanksgiving house because it was like built <laughs> in the early 1800s or something. So it just like feels like Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's very warm, lots of wood. Oh, fireplaces. Yes. Yeah, fireplaces are Maybe great. I love wood burning fireplaces. Yard. Little mm -hmm. touch football in the mm -hmm. front. Yeah, okay, yep. good. The kids love it, and they're going to do the turkey trot and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, we're going to do the turkey day. trot. Yeah, I just my 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 brother and his kids are doing it, and then I signed up my son and I up. But uh, we'll see whether we get through the whole trot. I think we. Might oh, I, I think I got one that's going to win it. She's like, she's a little bitty thing, but she's got like a six minute mile already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I don't know that we've ever discussed this before, but I'm pretty hardcore that you cannot play Christmas music nor put up any decorations until that holiday meal has been concluded. You and my husband both, but yeah. you see, my husband had to take one of our girls to an Irish dance competition this weekend. We call that a which, fesh among the... Oh, oh my gosh, you're in the know. <laughs> wow. I did not know that about you. Yeah, well, I drove, I, just, just to be clear with the audience, I cheated. I drove carpool this morning, and that's what the, the other family had been doing this weekend. So just so we're clear. Oh, they were probably at the same one in yeah. Pennsylvania. No, this was in uh, Williamsburg area, from what I gather. Okay. All right. Well, these are, you know, she did really well. Her team actually placed number one. And so she's like, I'm going to Worlds. And I'm like, what does that mean? Ireland, Ireland, baby. Anyway, um, so he was at a fest with her, which meant my youngest, who's like the Christmas dictator because he just wants, he knows if he leaves this up to mom, it's going to happen like December 24th. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, this is our chance. They're out of the house. So we got all the Christmas lights. We've got everything except for the tree, but it's all on off. It's in the off position. Right. I'm like, don't let daddy see it. Right. Because if daddy sees it, he's like you, Sean. Like, this is, you know, it doesn't go without up respect. After see, here's my thing. Everyone says <laughs> I want to be, I love Christmas, my favorite season. No question about it. And that's my point, though, is honor Christmas season, get into Advent, let Thanksgiving be a time of gathering and thanks, and then kick in and go nuts. But mm -hmm. I don't want you to get worn out of Christmas. That's my thing. People jump in too quick, play Mariah mm -hmm. Carey. No, no, no. Wait, give thanks break up that meal and then, okay, fine, go for it. But slow your roll. Mm -hmm. Let Christmas come in and, and manifest itself within each of us. Don't mix holidays. It's just not right. 
Uh, Well, yeah. Well, from a planning perspective, we're ready. None of the lights are on, but they're up. All right. Well, let's jump into the big. Yeah, let's jump into the big (laughs) issues. So today is Joe Biden's 81st birthday. What are you doing to celebrate? I didn't know it was his birthday. Thank you. I well, know. He I, mean, I, I don't know that he does right? either. It's I'm following Argentina. I'm like open AI, but, but I missed that it was the 81st birthday. Luckily, Happy he birthday, may have Joe. to. He God may have to. Us. Yeah. Well. All right, friends. Are you looking to secure your financial future? Then I ask you to call the folks at Bishop Gold Group. They are who I rely on during these uncertain economic times, interest rates going through the roof. Where do we put our money? What's secure? Bishop Gold Group is America's premier precious metals company. Uh, They can sit down with you and put a plan together about whether it's an IRA, you're a first-time investor, you're a long-time investor, how to diversify, what metals to get into. I have known these guys for quite some time. Integrity is a way of life for them. Uh, Transparency is something that they pride themselves on. When you call them, they sit down, create an individualized plan for you based on your specific needs. I know there's a lot of companies out there talking to you about precious metals. Trust me, you will not be disappointed with my friends over at Bishop Gold Group. You can reach out to them and talk to them right now at 844-984-1616 or click on the link below bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. And guess what? They've got a special promotion for you to start your financial independence journey. Again, bishopgoldgroup.com slash Sean. So like you brought it up. So let's just kick off with both of those. Like tell me how big of a deal this is in your mind, because I know you really understand, uh, you know, from the economic geopolitical standpoint, how big is it that this, I, some people are calling him a libertarian, some people are just saying conservative, but but that this guy, uh, what does this mean, not just for Argentina, but for, for all of that region? Look, I cannot understate how massive this is. I cannot understate how shocked and surprised I was. I've followed this region for years. My first job was at Goldman Sachs and I was trading Latin American debt, specifically Argentine debt, Venezuelan, Mexican, and Brazil. So I've followed these economies forever. I'm very, you know, sort of tuned in to what's going on. Argentina is an amazing place. They have a wealth of natural resources. They have a pretty sophisticated, educated population. So there's great people, very, very hardworking. And unfortunately, you know, the Peronists, you think we were joking, don't cry for me, Argentina, you know, the song, good, Evita. The, look, Evita Peron and her husband, Juan Peron, they, they sort of kind of corrupted, for lack of a better term. I mean, it really is corruption. That economy way back when, and that's continued for decades. And so you've had this socialist bent to Argentina, which just hasn't worked and resulted in massive, massive inflation. Now, in the 1980s, the U.S. tried to help out a friend of mine, Bill Rhodes. He wrote a book called Banker to the World. He was the banker to the world. He would like literally go and restructure all these messed up economies. He came up with the Brady Bonds in the 1980s for Argentina that helped to stabilize it. But of course, you know, Another another team comes in, another administration. They think, oh, we we don't have to pay Social Security. We'll take all that money from our Social Security. We'll like line our pockets with it. And so these kinds of things, like everything that they tried to put in place would go bust year after year after year because the politicians were corrupt. And so finally, this guy comes out of nowhere, Javier Millet, and he's like, a, well, not out of nowhere. I mean, he was kind of like a bombastic economist, right? Television guy, personality, who had a ton of energy, has a ton of energy, and is a little, you know, 
wacky, right? Like with some of the things that he does, I get it, but it has a lot of commercial appeal. And he basically said, you know what? We're going to take a chainsaw. Literally. He like, he did a stint with the chainsaw. I've seen some videos with him. Yeah. He has a chainsaw literally in in running around town. (laughs) So, you know, Argentina, you thought that like, maybe the people would not respond. Like they're like, Whoa, this guy's kind of crazy. No, no, no. They loved it. They loved it. And so he made it through the first round, went to the runoff, and still everybody thought the Peronist candidate, right, left over from the Evita days, would still make it. The Kirshners, right? You know, there's a lot of sort of establishment p- players there in Argentina that had been with their families in, in office for decades. And this guy is the up-and-comer nobody, except that he's a television star, and just takes the world by storm. And so I actually think this is very fascinating, at least from a conservative movement, from a MAGA movement, because it shows you that with access to to him, right? It's not like he was throttled and, and nobody could see him. He was out there front and center, really just calling everybody out. He was able to break through in a massive way. I mean, the guy won by a landslide. So I was talking to some of my trader friends just last night. I'm like, how's this going to play in the market? Like, oh, Wall Street's going to love this. Really? Now, that's interesting. Wall Street's going to love this, they told me. And actually, I'm looking at the Argentine stock market today, which is actually in the green. They say Wall Street will love this because Argentina's economy has been such a mess. Inflation has been so out of control that they need some kind of counterbalance to that. Now, is he going to get rid of the central bank? I don't think so. But in other words, he's got sort of the 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 dynamic makeup of somebody who recognizes what government bureaucracy has become. And this is a new chance, a new lease on life for Argentina. In other words, they're saying saying that he's gonna it's not working. You do something different. He's already saying that he's gonna go in and it's gonna be immediate, that we can't wait something like we can't wait a day. We've got to start right now. I mean this seems to me like he's going to bring institute radical change, which is great in some instances, but the question is I remember you know, the, the, and I don't know that it's completely analogous, but you think about what happened in the UK where they tried to implement some stuff without having the people on board and it kind of crashed and burned. I get his popularity, but the question is, does he need to now go out and sell these reforms and these institutional ch- changes? Or I, cause that's where sometimes I don't think that they fully appreciate uh, the difference between candidacy and running for office and then governing. Sure. And like, you know, you look at Joe Biden right now and he wants to be the FDR 2.0, right? He, he thinks he can put through all these programs. And it's like, wait a second, buddy, you don't have the Congress to do that. You don't, you don't have a big enough majority in the Senate to do that. So for him, he sold it to the people clearly, Sean, like okay. the people, this is, this is like a landslide, but now you get all the bureaucrats that you got to kind of, you know, bring okay. into, into the system and in line, but it's, it's almost like, Hey, you know, Trump won, but then he had to fight the internal battle of, you know, what some people like to refer to as the deep state. Right. right? And that's just sort of all the, yeah, you know, the, the individual, the individual goals and choices of each politician and each bureaucrat. So yeah, Malay is up against that, but he's got the wind at his sails. He's got the people's backing. They were willing to elect the guy with the chainsaw. In an overwhelming victory. So I would pay attention if I were a bureaucrat or politician in Argentina right now because there's a new guy in charge. I, and it's funny. I think I start looking around the world and there is a theme. Everyone keeps saying, you know, when Trump got elected, um, you have this real estate mogul, 
reality TV star. And it was like, oh, this is a one-off. And you start to see around the world, not just in one region in Europe, in, uh, in South America, these folks who are, you know, have a TV background, maybe a marketing background, uh, who are bringing a message of real fundamental change. And it's, it's just interesting to me to see that that's, that's, I think people are tired around the world of politicians who have great rehearsed talking points, but don't get things done. And what's different about the past is that even if somebody from TV or whatever wanted to go into politics, and we saw it with Reagan, right? And he did it pretty successfully. But if they wanted to go into politics, the machine was not there to support them. And back then, there were only three networks. Right. And there were only so many newspapers. And you couldn't get your word out in the same kind of way. You know, you'd have to like mail letters. So you kind of <laughs> needed an establishment to help you with the organizational efforts. And now you can send a tweet. Right. You can put up your own website. You can develop an email list. I mean, it's much easier, I think, to access the public. And so the, it's much easier for the public to see you. So whether it's, when I mean, you look at Vivek Ramaswamy right now, and he's, some people have made comparisons to Malay and, and to Vivek, but Vivek didn't even have the television profile of a Javier Malay. Vivek kind of just came out of nowhere and started talking some common sense. And people are like, wow, okay, right. well, you know, I like what he's saying. That sort of makes sense. Um, and you may not agree with him on everything, but you're like, I like the fact that somebody's talking about this in a new way and not just giving me status quo talking points. And the reason is because he's not bought, he's not bought and paid for, right? Like the people that are bought and paid for, they're part of the system. They do what they're told to do. They're very careful how they speak. And then you get these outliers who just tell it like it is. And people go, uh-huh. Yeah. I like that guy or girl. Yeah. All right, folks. I want to tell you about a guy named Leo Grillo that I've gotten to know. Uh, he is the founder of Delta Rescue. And if you go to deltarescue.org, you can get to see some of the great work that Leo has done to provide the world's biggest sanctuary for abandoned dogs, cats, animals of all stripes. It is amazing what they do at Delta Rescue right now. Uh, this dog that he found at one time was in trouble and underweight. Leo rescued that dog. It was a Doberman and named him Delta. You know why? Because that inspired Delta Rescue. It's unbelievable what they do over there. Delta stands for dedication and everlasting love to animals. That's basically Leo's mission. And Delta Rescue relies solely on contributions from people like you and I to make it work. Talk to them about making this part of your estate plan. If you're an animal lover, you know this is where your legacy can match with theirs and they can help put together a tax saving plan. It's all on their website right now. So go to deltarescue.org, check out some of the great videos and the estate planning tools that they have there on their site for you. Um, I, I do want to switch gears because another thing that's really in your wheelhouse is this what's going on with open AI. And I think just I, I'd rather if, if we can just start this by explaining to people what happened, because to me, they oust <laughs> the founder. And then I wake up this morning and 500 people are resigning I because know. of this, which I didn't realize. I, I mean, uh, just call cards on the table. I don't fully appreciate how many people even work there. So is 500 a lot? Is that not a lot? 770. But, so it's like basically 70% of the workforce. Walk, walk back a step here. So why did this guy, why did Altman get, Sam Altman get fired? Like what was he doing? And what what is it that OpenAI, I still don't appreciate. I get ChatBeat, GPT, I get, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what is, what is what did they do? And what was okay. he potentially so, doing? So let's back wrong? up. So this was an Elon Musk company. Okay. So and and Musk gets into this in in his 
biography. Well, it was a Walter Isaacson bi- biography, but the reason he set this up was I guess he was having a conversation with Sergey Brin or something one night. And Sergey Brin was saying like, you know, the computers are going to take over the world. And Musk was like, well, that's not good. And Brin's like, well, you're a speciesist. And he's like, well, all I can tell you is I want to make sure the human species right. is the one that multiplies and has the greater intelligence than the computers. And that actually gets into a little bit of Musk's view on why we need to be having smarter people need to be having more kids, et cetera, because you want to outpace, right? The, the rate you need to of beat growth. the Terminator. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, he, he took this pretty seriously. So he talked to his friend, Sam Altman, who was also really into this. And he put a hundred million dollars into the development of this open AI. He was one of the original investors. And so Sam goes to work and they put a board together that was designed to kind of really protect against the dangers of AI, if you would, right? The, with, with Musk's sort of fundamental belief that you can't allow the computers to outpace the humans and that the humans still need to be in charge. The problem sort of is, if you look at Elon Musk and his past, he's always chosen endeavors that have a profitability model along the way. So sure, you know, he's trying to get rockets to Mars and you know, colonize Mars, but in the meantime, he's making money off the Pentagon because he's got all those contracts. Or you right. look at the EV industry and he has a belief that we need to at some point be able to transition off of oil. And so he's creating a profitable model by which to do that. And so really that's kind of ideal, right? In capitalism, if you can sure. have some kind of big lofty goal, but you can actually get there and make money along the way. And so that was his intention. But with this one, he didn't really have a set profitable goal initially. He may have eventually, but in the beginning, it was just like, okay, we need to counter the alternative, the alternative being computers take over the world or the Terminator. So that's why it was established. So they put together a board that was very interesting people. Everybody was leaving, including Elon Musk. He had a falling out with Altman because there was suddenly this desire, what they realized, Sean, <laughs> capitalism, what they realized was this could actually not compete against other players unless they had a capitalist incentive. In other words, they were not going to be able to move at the speed in which they needed to, to really be successful and counter anything else out there unless they had a for-profit motive. Because, well, that's just how it works, right? In a right. capitalist society. And so Elon's like, ah, I don't like this. He got off. Microsoft bought a 49% stake. They put something like $17 billion into this. And, and so it may have been Elon being like, ah, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with Microsoft. So he leaves all those sort of original players, for the most part, that you might know. They all left. And so there were like four people on the board, all of whom had these very altruistic goals of still protecting against the dangers of AI. Well, it gets a little messy when you're in a company that's expected to turn a profit because now, you know, Microsoft wants its money back. It wants to make money on the $17 billion venture. And you've got a board that's not invested in the company that won't make any money off of the success of open AI. And so they're like, no, no, we got to hold back. We got to hold back. We got to hold back. And so that's sort of where it came apart. We don't yet know the details and the particulars of exactly why they fired Sam Altman, but I can tell you that that was certainly a a sticking point, right? Like this was the sort of crux of the challenge. So they fire him. It was wild. It was a crazy weekend. And then all of a sudden, like Sunday, he's back in there and they're trying to renegotiate. And he's like, I want the whole board gone. I want a new board. And they're like, no, it's a non-starter. And so then you wake up this morning and one, 
he's now going to Microsoft to lead an AI division there. And two, he's taken some 500 employees with him. But they only have just, 770. Well, as, I, and again, I don't know the particulars of the financing, but if, you, if you're talking, if you think about all this money, and it's like, if you're Microsoft, you're like, we have $17 billion invested in this. And then you guys are like trading offices and moving that. I mean, like, this is a lot of money to be playing with where you have this level of instability in terms of the core staff. Of course. And so I, I was looking at um, some comments from some people in the VC community this morning and, and some texts that I got. Basically, the moral of the story for them is we don't want to have a board that is not aligned with the goals of the company, right? Like you have to have everybody kind of on the same page. So you can't have a nonprofit board with a for-profit company. Right. I mean, that in and of itself is kind of messy. And so I think that's sort of the, that's, that's one of the challenges. And it's also super incestuous to your point. I mean, Microsoft, I mean, I, I suspect there's going to be some legal battles here because think of all the intellectual property creation that was done at OpenAI. Well, Sam's going over to Microsoft and he's going to take all that knowledge, right, with him. The 500 employees are going to take all that knowledge with them. But OpenAI may say, you can't because that's ours. That's our intellectual property. That's our development. And so that sets the stage for some messiness. And the reality is OpenAI is not going to be able to function. They get the Twitch, by the way, the Twitch former Twitch CEO, Twitch owned by Microsoft, Again, <laughs> incestuous nature of this whole thing. So he's now taking over at OpenAI, ChatGPT. And it's like, all right. So like you guys, like you're all big one happy family, except you're not. But do, you're they, do, they, do they currently make and money? I think there's like, lawsuits. Like I, I don't hear, can you explain like ChatGPT right now? How, how does that actually, or does it make any money? Where do they generate profit right now at all, if any? I, I actually think that they do generate some, like if you sign up, I think it's what, 30 bucks. I signed up for it. I use it sometimes. My furnace was making this really weird noise one night. <laughs> okay. I'm like on chat. My husband's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, chat GPT. They'll know the answer. Um, anyway, we, it was very helpful. And okay. it told us to call the furnace company, <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway, um, Look, I, I think that, that it's 30 bucks a year and you get, okay. you know, the best new and improved version and each version as they come out. So they make some money there. But I think this was sort of a long-term profitability right. model. And again, it goes back to what is your goal for the company? Now, look, I'm a capitalist. Mark Andreessen, actually, who's a VC guy, has written a lot on this. And he kind of actually sees ChatGPT as very complementary to the human species. And as a capitalist, I kind of think, well, you know, like we, we do things and the invisible hand of capitalism usually is the right way to go. But I, I'm not going to say that this is, you know, this is a thousand percent uh, foolproof. I mean, I, I, I trust Elon Musk. I have enormous respect for the guy. And the fact that he was sort of stopped dead in his tracks with this idea that we can't let computers take over the world, I think is pretty darn interesting and something we need to pay attention to. So yes, it's a balancing act. And if you're for profit, you're maybe not as, you know, you're not right. as interested in the in the damage and in the harm. I guess I just still come back to Elon Musk is a pretty smart guy. If he saw a problem with that, we should all probably take a deep breath and recognize what the problems are while still trying to honor, if you would, the uh, the sort of beauty of capitalism. I guess yeah. bottom line, Sean, you can't have a nonprofit board and right. a for-profit company. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. All right. Well, speaking of Elon, like I, 
I, I didn't, I don't know what to make of what happened over this weekend. This, this tweet that he sends out goes, starts to seemingly affirm what can be described as anti-Semitic thoughts and beliefs about the Jewish people. He subsequently has said that that's not his intent. That's not who he is. But you then have all of these advertisers going berserk on this. I want to focus on, on X, what formerly known as Twitter though, for right now, like what, what, what is this, what is happening to this company, Trish? Because I, I mean, I had problems with Twitter. Don't get me wrong. It was leftist yeah. and shadow banned everyone. And now I'm kind of looking at a guy that I thought was really smart business-wise, right? And I get it. He bought it. He paid all this money for it. But I'm trying to figure out, I'm going, you have companies, you talk about its profit model, largely advertising, and everybody's fleeing the thing right now. And you've got Media Matters for America, this left-wing group, trying to create this false narrative, potentially, that there was adjacent ads to whatever, Elon saying he's going to sue them. I, I mean, this yeah. has been a fascinating in itself, watching how that company uh, has... I don't even, I, I don't know sure. what to call it. Devolved, evolved, what? Yeah, I, and I think eventually, I mean, I thought he paid too much money for it. Yeah. I know he tried to like lower the, and I'm like, no, buddy, like the Delaware court has only voted once to not approve a transaction. And that was when a company like blatantly, f like flat out lied, like criminal type stuff about its earnings. Um, you know, he he agreed to do that deal without actually looking fully under the hood he paid a lot for it, but I think he actually had a lot of conviction um, and wanted to do it for reasons that were not entirely capitalist motivated. And then he's looking at it going, whoa, I paid a lot for this. Maybe I, I shouldn't have paid so much. Look, he did pay so much and it's going to take a long time to recoup that value. He does have the goal of making that profitable and there are going to be hiccups along the way because yes, Disney hates him, right? Like Disney's like, okay, we're pulling all our advertising. Yep. The establishment hates him. They, they're terrified of him, absolutely terrified because he's allowing this exchange of dialogue. Um, I, you know, there was something that he tweeted and I, I don't have the, the exact tweet in front of me right now, but I was very struck by a, a couple of reactions. One of which was Bill Ackman's, Bill Ackman, um, a legendary hedge fund investor who's been very outspoken against Harvard University. And by the way, I went to high school with the woman who is uh, now head of Harvard. She was a senior when I was a freshman. And I'm just sickened and stunned by her lack of immediacy and her, I mean, they still haven't kicked the guy out of school that was harassing a student on campus who was perceived to be Jewish. I'm sure you saw that video. Right. Anyway, it's just horrible what's going on at Harvard, at UPenn, at my alma mater, which is Columbia University. I'm sickened and disgusted by all of it. But Bill Ackman leading the charge at Harvard, he writes, Elon Musk is not an anti-Semite. It is remarkable how quickly the world stands ready to attack Musk for his for his uh, shoot from the hip commentary. Musk is not perfect, but the world is a vastly better place because of him. And, you know, basically, I think what happened here is Elon is sort of zeroing in on this, this problem, this bug, if you would, right, to use a computer term of wokeness. And that's that the, the, the racism is against 
the oppressor group, which is seen as the Caucasians, whites, Israel, you know, the, the, the successful people, that, that that racism is acceptable and that that kind of racism against Israel, against white Americans is somehow necessary. And so there's this asymmetry and that racism is, you know, definitely asymmetrical because this attitudes is frankly at odds with the liberal perspective that racism is wrong in any direction, right? right. Which, which it is and, and always should be. So he's kind of going at this like a computer programmer and he's examining, if you would, the source code and he's exposing it. He's totally exposing that the, the left sort of DEI CRT movement that's supposed to be so anti-racist is actually rooted in racism itself because they're the ones that somehow are trying to justify the attack of 1,400 innocent Israelis. They're trying to justify that a, a white student who has worked hard and maybe grew up in Appalachia and didn't have two dimes to run to rub together his entire life doesn't deserve a spot at Harvard because you know an African American kid who grew up in Brookline Mass and you know had every advantage in the world is still black and I'm sorry like that is that is racist I mean you just have to be able to look at people in the world of Martin Luther King Jr., right, for who they are, not the color of their skin. All right, guys, most of us know what it's like to be without power, sometimes for an hour, maybe a day, a couple days after a natural disaster, a hurricane, a windstorm, you know, whatever. But now national security experts are warning that our power grid is more vulnerable than ever. And they've identified nine key substations, which if attacked, they're saying we can lose power for months, months. That's why having your own solar power is more important than ever. So I recommend the Patriot Power Generator, which is a solar generator that you don't have to install in your house. It's portable, you can take it with you. You can use it inside your house. And it's powerful enough that if power goes out, we're talking your phones, your tablets, your computers, medical devices, even your refrigerator gets power. So if you go to fourpatriots.com and use code SPICER, you get 10% off your first purchase. It's four. Patriots.com includes that Patriot power generator. You'll get a uh, that guarantee for a year, free shipping if it's over 97 bucks, and a portion of every sale is donated to charities that support veterans, right? That's great. So go to fourpatriots.com, use code SPICER, fourpatriots.com. You do not want to be without power in case something happens. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like he's I, I've always admired his business prowess. Tesla, I mean, you named a few of them, Blue Origin, mm -hmm. right? And then he buys Twitter. Okay, I agree. I'm not, look, and I, I thought about it at the time. And I'm like, who am I to second guess how much he's paying? Maybe he knows something that I don't. And, uh, and you know, he's got, I, I won't have a fraction of that money in my lifetime. So if he has it, okay. But he has, you have all these advertisers now running away from the platform because of his actions, right? That this tweet that he sent out, and I mean, it's just, he he says, you have said the actual truth to this person who said Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dial dialectal hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. It's his actions. Now, right or wrong, I mean, I, again, I'm not getting into the dissecting part, but like right. as a CEO, if you're engaged in that kind of activity, and then you've got every major corporate advertiser saying we're out. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. Yeah, you know what? He doesn't care. He, it will be, he recognizes that everybody still wants to be on X. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, I think true social is an interesting place and I love Devin Nunes and, you know, and, and Trump's trying hard over there and he really can't tweet on X, I think because of certain contracts, but right. like, 
That's where everybody's still going. I, I get it, but right. they're not. Like, but that's what I worry about, Trish. And, that, you know, the advertisers will figure that out eventually. And as long as Elon keeps tweeting and as long as there's interesting conversations there, they'll come back. And he knows that. And he can, you know, he's got the runway in the interim. So I mean, that's what I'm hoping, though, game. by the way, because if we don't have it, like he without him, people on the right were getting shadow banned topics uh, or any questioning of the status quo was prohibited and canceled out. So I actually welcomed him tremendously for taking over Twitter and allowing a free exchange of ideas to get back to what it was kind of supposed to be about. I worry though, I truly do worry. And I get your point, people are gonna have to, but are they? Are, I mean, you see these stats about traffic going down, you see the corporate uh, advertising going away. At some point, unless he's personally continued to fund this thing, I just, I worry about its its future. I, I think he's committed. I think that he sees this as one of the biggest challenges of the century. I think he is so astutely aware of the need for free speech and a platform for that. I mean, we, we don't have to relitigate the whole thing. But when you think about Alexander Hamilton's newspaper, the New York Post, getting their Twitter account shut down because yep. they were actually speaking the truth. You know, they had the, the goods on Hunter Biden and they knew the FBI was investigating them. And we had 51 X spooks come out and tell us that that wasn't true. I mean, unfortunately, they've been able to lie to us so much in the past that now people are left saying, well, I don't know what to trust anymore. Now that is the most dangerous thing that can ever happen, frankly, Sean. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a kind of ideological warfare. This is the kind of brainwashing that causes people to question everything. And when you're questioning everything, it means you can literally question everything. And so you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you no longer understand right from wrong, boy from girl, day from night, you know, you name it. We don't have to go there, but that is what's effectively going on. And I think Elon recognizes that and wants a way to sort of fight back against it. So I think that this company will continue to stay in business. I think he will personally make this his pet project until he can turn it into a real profitable venture. And I think eventually some of these companies are going to realize, hey, Disney, guess what? Nobody wants to see your movies anymore. That's why, guess what? You just had to postpone Snow White's live action show because you spent $330 million on it and it's already getting bad PR constantly, right? And that's why they just hired the CFO from Pepsi to come in and try and do a reorg because Nelson Peltz, the billionaire, by the way, conservative investor, who's now on, the, he's like, are you kidding me at Disney? How can this stock be tanking this badly? I'll tell you how it can tank that badly. You go too woke. You know the expression, you go woke, you bro broke. broke. I mean, that is what they have done. And so I think that the pendulum will swing as more and more people say, okay, we got half a country that is more conservative. And you know what? Most parents don't want to take their children to these kinds of performances that are promoting values that they think might confuse their kids unnecessarily or be frankly too mature because we haven't even gotten there on the heterosexual front yet. So that's, you know, that's just reality. And that is capitalism. Yeah. And so Disney's learning it the hard way. Elon's like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to say, you guys don't want to be on my platform. Okay. You know, maybe you'll come back. Maybe you won't. Maybe there'll be a new Disney. Maybe there will yeah. be new companies that sprout out out of this, you know, basically refusal to give the people what they want. 
it's always going to be interesting. Do we take, do we compete with them uh, and build up a new economy, uh, if you will, uh, of alternatives, which I actually think is the only way to do this because I don't think the pendulum will swing back in the existing institutions that, that, that are there right now. Right. Well, so I don't hey, think I keep saying University of Florida, that's the new Harvard. Right. Look at what Ben Sass came out and said. And do you know that's the number one ranked state school ahead of U Michigan and UVA right now? University of Florida. I mean, you're going to see a shift. Do I want to send my kids to my own alma mater right now, Columbia? I don't know. We got some time, thankfully. Right. But that's but, that. But I, if I, they I, don't shift, I mean, if they're putting swastikas in the International Affairs Building, which, by the way, I studied in in the bathrooms, that makes me sick. I can't send my kids to a school like that. Right. So I think there will be new institutions that come out unless these guys figure it out. And, you know, Claudine Gay over at Harvard, she's trying to figure it out. You got- I thought you know, what was neat about Twitter, by the way, is that, you know, to your point, all of these conservatives, Jack Posebic, Tim Poole of Timcast, all stepped up and said, great, we'll start advertising. We will put, mm -hmm. you know, Timcast is putting $250,000 $250, a month and saying, great, we'll advertise. And you're seeing conservatives support conservatives. You're seeing alternative economies, uh, you know, that are saying Angel Studios is one of my favorite to talk about. The Chosen, The Sound of Freedom. You're seeing Brave Books sort of create an alternative. Uh, we've got a conversation later this week with Kirk Cameron about what he's doing with book fairs to take on Scholastic. I mean, this is this is it. I believe in this alternative economy, the public square. You know that not the the yeah the figure. Yeah, and the there's company. a company called 1789 Capital, who which is run by a couple of friends of mine. I don't know if you know Amid Malik, and uh, um, you know he's he basically has a traditional law and banking background. Was actually one of the um, guys on, on John Paulson's team originally politically and then went to work with him over at MF Global. And he started a fund basically to nurture these companies. He took Public Square public. I think he's got a new SPAC as well that he's working on. So they're trying to seek out these opportunities. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, it's just important that we collectively as conservatives, I think, support them and support these ideas because it's, it's a valuable part of the economy. It's being ignored. And, you know, hey, we, we, we have a say too. And I think that you can't just indoctrinate people the way th this is going down right now. Right. And people don't want to be indoctrinated. And people also don't appreciate this sort of cancel culture where it's our way or the highway. And if you're going to do that, I mean, there's other ways, there's workarounds. One thing that was mentioned to me by a historian friend, and I just thought this was an interesting comparison. I'm not in any way suggesting this to be very clear that, you know, separate is ever a good thing. And ideally we're not going to have to do this, but it's sometimes it's like you do what you need to do. And one um, historian pointed out that in the post-Civil War era, Black Americans, they, they didn't have a chance, right? They didn't have schools. They didn't have hospitals and they weren't allowed because, they, well, they were Black, right? So what did they do? They started educating their own population. They started creating their own hospitals, their own schools, their own outlets. And actually you started to see a thriving sort of economy that was was happening alongside the white economy. But the Black America was actually really having this tremendous renaissance and growing in ways that they had to, right? Because they needed to do their own thing. And I just thought that was interesting. Other examples are sort of, you know, immigrant groups that come to America and really 
support one another and create an infrastructure around each other. Again, sort of out of the need and necessity to do so. I love the story that the first female millionaire in the United States of America was actually a black woman and she was catering to other black women and had an enormously successful business. And so, you know, at some point, like you're playing their game and if they're not going to let you play, you start your own game. So be it. I want to touch on one last thing in the last like minute that we have together, because uh, I, you, you talked about right and wrong, man and woman. And yet this weekend, I didn't watch it, but I saw the reports about the Miss Universe pageant. And you saw this woman from Netherlands that, rep- that was supposed to be Miss Netherlands was a dude. And, and yet the Miss Universe pageant is now apparently going broke. I, I'm wondering again, is this the same dynamic at play here? You know, I know a lot about this, right? Of course I do. That's why I asked you. (laughs) No, no, I mean, like, scary how much I know. So for for some of the viewers out there, eons ago, I was Miss New Hampshire. I started out, like, as a singer, an opera singer, actually, a classical singer. And my parents were like, we're not paying for conservatory. So I was like, all right, I'll go do this pageant thing. And I I wound up winning Miss New Hampshire and then went on to Miss America, where I won talent, won a a ton of money, got all this money for school and was like, oh, gosh, now it's my money. (laughs) Maybe not a conservatory. That was when I transferred (laughs) to Columbia. But anyway, uh, long story short, I went back decades later, just last year, to judge Miss America. Now, Miss America, you do have to be female. I remember, Sean, Sean, years ago, I mean, we're talking like 30 years ago. I was like still a teenager. I had to sign a contract. To this day, it's the funniest contract I ever signed. And now I get it. I signed a contract swearing that I had been born female and was always female. Not only did I sign that contract, I had to give them a copy of my birth certificate proving that I had been born female. And I'm like, who are these people? Like, this is sort of weird, right? They were ahead of their time. They were totally ahead of their times. Now I get it. They were worried about this back then. Anyway, Miss America and Miss Universe, totally separate. Miss America has a talent competition. Miss Universe, Miss, what is it? uh, USA. No, no talent competition, just swimsuit and modeling. Um, So let's talk about Miss Universe. So Miss Universe was bought by a transgender out of Thailand. And so all of a sudden it was like, woohoo, you know, trans, we are all women and okay, fine fine, you know, do your thing. But do you think that all the young women that were competing in that system really were so psyched to have a transgender kind of leading it and then realizing that they were getting dressed in the same, and you know, you're, you're dressing and undressing backstage right next to somebody who still hasn't, I mean, I I think the rule is you have to have gone through the transition, not to be too graphic. I'm sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) You know, I think that actually is the rule now. It wasn't the rule in the past. So, okay, uh, so they've gone through the transgender, they, so they had two transgenders competing. Moral of the story is, they've just declared bankruptcy. I know, I know. Okay, so bankruptcy. So again, this is me saying, capitalism typically works. It does. Right? Capitalism yeah. typically like hits at the root of the issue. So Disney, you can't sell the movie tickets you wanted to or the theme park tickets you thought you were gonna sell. And hey, Miss Universe, nobody wants to compete anymore because it just, doesn't feel the same, right? Yeah. Or think about the boxer. I don't know if you saw that story, the Canadian boxer. Oh yeah. Over I the know. weekend. Yeah. Guess what? If you're a, if you transition, you realize you're going to actually fight a man. Yeah. Not so smart, huh? Uh, well, so she, she was like, I mean, this was an amazing story and I am really struck by it. And this is what we need more and more women doing. 
getting out of the ring when they throw a man in there. So she was like, okay, I'm all set to box. And an hour before her match, they told her she was fighting against somebody who had just transitioned. And she said, whoa, 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 like this is actually pretty serious. And she cited a study that was reported on in Science Daily that showed men pack a, a, a 160%, 162% harder punch than women. And it, that held true even for the strongest woman versus the weakest man. Yeah. So she's like, I'm sorry. Like at I'm this out. point, you are jeopardizing my life. Right. I'm out. And I'm out. And so she forfeited i.e. lost yeah. that match. But I just think that common sense needs common. to prevail and more women need to say, you know what? I'm getting out of the pool. Yep. I'm getting out of the pageant. I'm getting out of the ring. You do your thing and we'll do ours. Yep. Well, it's time we got out of the ring, uh, proverbially speaking. Thank you for being <laughs> here. I hope you and your uh, you have a great and safe Thanksgiving. Yes. I appreciate you being with us. Travel safe to your sister's house. Uh, thank mm -hmm. you all for being with us. We'll be back tomorrow with a great discussion with Russ Vogt, who was President Trump's OMB director. We're going to talk about the budget, all the money that's being spent in Washington, how we can reform it. Travel safe if you're hitting the roads already. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star review on Apple. We'll see you back here on The Sean Spicer Show.